Oh, this morning I want to sound an alarm more than I want to preach a sermon. In fact, I feel like God wants me to sound the trumpet and wake up some of you spiritually who have shifted and even wandered off into side battles and earthly skirmishes that are not even where the real battle is being fought. And worse than that, some of you have picked up the weapons of this world and adopted the attitude and tone of this world. Attack, accuse, suspect, undermine, divide, slander, and revile. Even if it's another brother or sister in the Lord. Thinking that you can glorify God, be used by God, and do kingdom work with worldly weapons. But you can't. In fact, when you use the weapons of the flesh, doesn't matter what you meant to do. All I wanted to do was, and this is so important, and don't you understand what's at stake? When you use the weapons of the flesh, you actually give aid to our enemy, Satan, who says, thank you very much. Yes, more of that, more of that. Yeah, and get others to do that too. Yeah, yeah, thank you. You are helping me. And so Paul hits this head on in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. I've got it in your bulletin. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 and 4, when he says, For though we walk in the flesh. All right, I wish I could tell you that when you get saved, body of flesh is gone, done, and we are so spiritual, and everything we do just matches what Jesus would want us to do. I wish. So you still have this body of flesh to contend with, and we live in a world that's filled with other human beings who have a body of flesh. Sinful. Christians and non-Christian alike. So he acknowledges, for though we walk in the flesh, ah, we, Christians, are not waging war according to the flesh. In other words, he says, God has given us some radically different rules of engagement. There's a war, but we have radically different rules of engagement. We're not waging war according to the flesh. And he's given us some radically different weapons. Verse 4, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. Listen to me. God does not just care about what you do. He certainly cares about what you do. God doesn't just care about what you do. He cares about how you do it. Because listen to me, how you do it will determine what gets destroyed. When you use the weapons of the flesh, you destroy other people, including some brothers and sisters in Christ. When you tap into his power and do things his way, way strongholds are destroyed the real issue where the real battle is being fought against the real enemy oh i desperately want our church family to be on mission about the right thing focused on the real enemy and using the right weapons oh Recognize who the real enemy is and pick up the right 
weapons. So let me show you what I'm talking about. Turn to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 10. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. You realize our enemy Satan, he's setting traps constantly. He is setting snares constantly that he wants us to step in. Be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Now he's going to highlight the real enemy. That you don't see on the news. But against the rulers. Against the authorities. Against the cosmic powers over this present darkness. Against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. If that's who the real enemy is. And that's where the real battle's being fought. Now he's going to tell us what to do. The word therefore, verse 13. Therefore, if that's true, take up the whole armor of God. That you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore. Do you hear a theme? Whenever God repeats himself in the Bible, it's not that the Holy Spirit needed a better editor. It's like, oh, got it. It's that we need, to, we need to hear this. This is huge. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. Look at me. Not having fastened on your favorite blog. Having fastened on your favorite video link and you're sending it to everybody. Having fastened on... I'm not saying there's no place for some of that. But guys, you realize having fastened on the belt of truth, the only place you can go and know Is this absolutely true? Is that article I read, is that really true? Is that the fact? Is that expert actually an expert? Are those facts true? Are those statistics true? Here's the only place you can go and fasten on the belt of, say the word. Say it louder. Truth still exists. I just wish more Christians were spending more time there and were more excited about it. Fasten on the belt of of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and his shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith. We've got Christians who have taken up fear, 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 and it's driving them and they think that's how we're going to get a lot of good stuff done. You will not Fear leads to hate. You realize? When you're afraid, you attack. You go after something else. Take up the shield of faith. Faith. That you may be able to extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. He's firing at us. The only way you're going to extinguish that is with faith. And the only way you're going to have faith is... How do we get faith? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by blogs. It is a B word. Bible! And hearing by the word of God. As I read God's word, how often do I read it? Every day. How much of it do I read? All of it. Every year. But I am a pastor, so don't feel bad. But it wouldn't be a bad idea for you either. Right? As you feed on his word... It fuels faith, faith, faith. 
I only have to see a couple tweets and a couple little articles to get all out of sorts. And some of you are just looking at it. I don't even mean to see it. I'm doing something else, but there it is. I'm like, oh, wish I didn't know that. (laughs) Folks, you're taking in hours of that. And this just sits there. And you wonder why you've got more fear than faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Fasten on the belt of truth. And you'll have faith to extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one. Verse 17. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Oh, comma. Every time I heard this taught, I grew up in church. I was saved when I was seven. Good Bible teaching churches. I'm going to date myself. Flannel graph. How many of you know flannel graph? Super cool. But it was always like, boom, there's the soldier. He's naked. He's just got a little skirt on. Boom, we put on the breastplate. Over. Boom, we put on the belt. Boom. And when we put the sword in his hand, we were done. Paul's not done. Comma, verse 18. Say it. Pray. Say it louder. Pray. Praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication the word supplication simply means in detail. You don't just throw up softball prayers. Oh, God, help. Bless us real good. You know, we give each other the details, and then we pray, pray in generalities. Switch that around. Pray in detail. You say, but God already knows. I know he knows. But he loves for us as his kids to come to him with all supplication. To that end, keep alert. Keep alert in prayer with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I'm an ambassador in change that I may declare it boldly. Notice where this is all leading. There's a war. Who's the real enemy? You got weapons including prayer. And as you do this, you begin to have boldness to proclaim the gospel. We've got Christians today that are as bold as I've ever seen them about all kinds of other things. When's the last time you shared the gospel? When's the last time you felt it welling up in you? I really need to talk to this person about the gospel. When you are praying in the spirit, when you are reading God's word, when you know who the real enemy is, when you understand what the real war is about, when you really want to see strongholds go down and you don't want to just get all caught up in earthly things that are temporal and are going to burn up, you have a readiness and a boldness to share the gospel. And this is not that hard, you guys. I was on a plane just a couple weeks ago, and I'm, I'm seated over here on this side with a three-seater, two young ladies who are here just carrying on. And uh, I just decided to start reading my church history book, and I'm reading it, and it's called The Triumph of Christianity. And that could be offensive to some people today. So I knew she could see the title, and she's, she leans over and says, I don't want to offend you, but could I ask you a question? So I was all ready to defend Christianity, and she's like, would you be willing to trade seats with that girl over there? <laughs> So on this side of the aisle is another girl, and they kept trying to talk to each other across from me, and they're all going to a bachelorette party. I'm like, sure. So I trade seats, and I end up next to this guy, and we hit it off. His son plays tennis in high school. I played tennis. We just talk about all kinds of things, 
And then I moved it in a spiritual direction. He said he's been a part of a church in Indiana for a long time. I didn't stop, did I? Did I keep from asking my favorite question? What's my favorite question? If this plane went down in a fiery, screaming, burnt... No. But I did say, if you were to die today and stand before God, and he said, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? And again, he said, what everybody I hear says, I try to be a good person. I try to treat people the way I want to be. I try to make a difference in this world. I said, thank you. You realize that makes for a better society. I wish more people would do that. He was my age. I said, but you realize that won't get you into heaven? He cocks his head. And then I got permission. I often do this. I said, would you mind if I shared with you what the Bible says about how you can know that you're right with God and going to heaven? And then I shared the gospel. And we just kept talking. Then when we landed, I had an ultimate questions in my little bag and I handed it to him and said, I would love to give you this and you can read some more about how you can know what the Bible says. So, so as we were, you know, starting to disembark, I, I leaned over to the ladies and I said, hey, was it all that you'd hoped it would be? And they're like, oh yeah, but he's your new best friend. Are you going out for a beer together? They're like, you guys talked the whole time. It was two and a half hours. Yes, we did. But I said to him, You realize I think this was a divine appointment? I was supposed to be here. And I got moved next to you. You guys, it's not just because I'm clergy. I'm a man of the cloth. He does that for clergy. He would love to do that for every one of his children. He has us here, as we reach back to Esther, for such a time as this to make a difference in this dark world. Even Monday night, I had the joy. I told you about the guy choking on his breakfast biscuit at the gym. And we set up. I said, if you'll read this, how good it is good enough, because he said he's trying to be good, I'll take you out to eat. And he, every time he'd see me, he's like quarter of the way through that little book, halfway through, finished it. And he said, I've only read two books in my whole life. I said, all right, I owe you dinner. And he travels and I travel, and so it was kind of hard. But Monday night was it. And so we're sitting there, and I took my giant print, ESV Bible, because he's my age. I can't see in a restaurant. And he used his little iPhone to turn the light on. But I want people to see God's word. And so I just slid the Bible over to him, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. I said, read that. For it's God's word that's powerful, you guys. Not my persuasion. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not of works lest anyone should boast. He texted me as I, after I'd headed home, and he said, can you text me that verse? And he said, I appreciate more than you'll ever know this conversation and the time you took. You guys, there are people like that in your neighborhood, working with you, in the store, on a plane. They're everywhere. And God has us here to be about what matters most, most. To point number one, do you know that you're in a war? Now, the way things have been blowing up for two years, you're like, yeah. But let me me add, I'm not talking about a cultural war, a political war, or even the economic battles that are being fought all around us right now. Huh. As Christians, he's called us to be conscious of and focused on, ready? A war that is far more sinister and deadly and deceptive than any of all that. That's child's play. 
compared to what Paul is calling us to be aware of here. And so I'm praying that hundreds of you, hundreds of you at all three campuses, Florence, Fort Thomas, Independence, the Grace Fellowship family of God, that hundreds of you would refocus on the real enemy and start using the right weapons, what he's given us to make an eternal difference in this world. And one of our greatest weapons, you guys, is prayer. It's prayer. You see it in this passage. It's prayer. Because I hope you realize prayer is the battering ram that slams against the strongholds of our enemy, Satan. That's when he trembles. You want to know what what causes him to tremble? He's not afraid of us all voting together in one block. You're like, oh, no, they're going to vote together. Oh, doesn't care. He's not afraid of you raging online and being ugly. That, that, That doesn't make him scared. When he sees you all of a sudden say, oh, my goodness, I'm going to pray. I mean, like, really pray like I've never prayed before. He's like, oh, my. He says to some of his little minions, "Uh, we got to stop this. Blow some things up. Cause their mind to dart around the universe like a small toddler. Cause them to feel sluggish and start to fall asleep. Cause them to conclude, oh, I guess I'm not cut out for prayer. Other people can do this. It's just so hard. I just can't do it. He trembles when we Pray, because that's when you tap into divine power. Oh, by the way, it's not just, oh, then really big power begins to operate. We've got power, but then, wait a minute, what's the Bible say? How much can we do? John 15, apart from him, you can do. So until you tap into his power, it's not like you can do some things. You can do nothing. You're just spinning your wheels. Oh, you can get exhausted. You can get frantic. You can get anxious. You can get frustrated. You can get angry. But you have no power apart from his power. Divine power. I love to read biographies. If I could, I would just read biographies. And one day when I'm retired, I will. But right now, I make myself read other books to be informed and know what's going on. But oh, my top guy to read for biographies is Winston Churchill. I've read more books about him, and I just keep reading them. I read another new one called The Splendid and the Vile. I love Winston. First, he's very witty. I like that, too. But I love him for his courage. Oh, my goodness, I love Winston Churchill. Because of his courage and how he called a nation. How he called a nation, the nation of Britain, to, here's our key word, stand in the face of overwhelming odds when the Nazis, get this, World War II, were bombing London night after night. Can you imagine? They bombed London from 1940 to 41, 57 nights in a a row. I don't mean one plane dropping two bombs. I mean just, that's almost two months, you guys. Can you imagine how unnerving that would be? 57 nights in a row of consecutive massive bombing. And then they continued sporadically for the rest of the year. How unnerving. I'd say to wake up in the morning, but I'm not sure you would wake up. You have to have been asleep. I doubt they were sleeping. But to get up as daylight begins to break through the dust and the smoke and the rubble, only to discover, who did we lose last night? What friend 
What family member, what coworker was killed and crushed as their home or building collapsed in on 45,000 Brightons died in that Nazi blanket bombing of London. And yet, yet, Winston Churchill rallied this little island nation to adopt a fierce and courageous wartime mentality that enabled them to stand. Listen to me. I believe the Apostle Paul is giving us our Winston Churchill call to stand in Ephesians 6. In the face of an overwhelming enemy that I hope you realize Satan could easily outmaneuver us and overpower us. Nothing in this passage is Paul saying, now here's what you can do. If you all put your heads together, here's what you can do. It's clear we can do nothing. We've got to tap into divine power. He could easily outmaneuver us and overwhelm us if we don't do it God's way. We don't do it God's way. John Piper points us in the right direction when he says this. We simply must seek for ourselves and for our people a wartime mentality. Otherwise, the biblical teaching about the urgency of prayer, the vigilance of prayer, the watching in prayer, the perseverance of prayer, and the danger of abandoning prayer will make no sense and find no resonance in our hearts. Here's the key phrase. Until we feel the desperation of a bombing raid... Or the thrill of a new strategic offensive for the gospel. We will not pray in the spirit of Jesus. The crying need of the hour is to put the church on a wartime footing. And he's talking about a spiritual war. Not cultural. Not political. Not economic. Spiritual war. I also think the crying need of the hour is to put Grace Fellowship on a wartime footing. And to get us focused on the real enemy using the right weapons. So look at Ephesians 6 again. Because I want you to notice how this word gets used repeatedly in our passage. Look at verse 11. That you may be able to, say it, stand against the schemes of the devil. Verse 13. Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. Is this an evil day? Yes. And having done all to, say it, stand. Verse 14, stand therefore having girded your waist with truth. And so when it comes to standing, I want you to notice something in this passage along with all the weapons that Paul talks about right there. What does Paul have wrapped around this whole thing that is undergirding this entire effort to stand. What do you see in verse 18? Prayer. Prayer. And yet, you guys, even, when we, even as I say that word, I, I, I believe that the majority of you just think, ah, oh, prayer. You know, sometimes even the way Christians say it, it's like, well, we're just going to have to pray about that. Like, oh my, has it come to that? That's the last thing we want to do. Surely there's something we can do. Is there any, anything else anyone thinks we could do? Please come up with something else because you don't want to just pray, pray, prayer. 
And when we think of prayer, we think of a lap quilt and fuzzy slippers and a warm glass of milk. Oh, man, you guys, I hope you know I'm not still coming to my office early and praying the way I do and still taking days of prayer and fasting because I just have this prayer gift. It's a battle. I have the same flesh you do. I think of prayer in terms of lacing up those military boots that come up to here, the black, ugly things. I think of prayer. I think I'm, I'm doing a military crawl, and I've got camo smeared on my face. That's what I think of. I am going into real battle. That's why just like you, my mind starts to dart all around the universe. I start to feel sluggish. I start to feel tired. My mind just darts over to a movie. My mind begins to go through the meetings of my day, and all of a sudden I have to bring it back. I'm like, oh, my goodness, I was praying. How did I get all the way over there? I'm on a vacation 10 years ago. You guys... It's a fight. Because when our enemy sees you begin to pray, he says, go get her. Go get her. Stop that. Do anything. It's not easy because it's war. It's war. It's war. So don't, don't, don't give up. Look, look at verse 18. Yes, prayer, comma, praying. How often? At all times. Some of you save prayer for like a crisis 911 call. Oh, God, now. I'm not saying he says, nah, forget it. I don't even know you. When's the last time you talked to me? He's a gracious God. But you guys praying at all times. There are times, praise God, he's good, that you go through a season that's a little more peaceful than some others. If we're not careful, we don't think we need to pray. Oh, you need to pray how often? At all times. At all. And then, how long should you lean into it before you give up and say, ah, I guess I just don't have this gift of prayer. I'm not cut out for this. With all perseverance. With all perseverance. Praying at all times with all perseverance. I've been a pastor 36 years, and I've never had a Christian say to me, oh, my goodness, thank you for mentioning prayer to me. I never thought of that. Pray. What a great idea. It's not what I hear. You know what I hear? They tell me why they tried it and quit. And I've heard dozens of reasons as to why they quit. It doesn't really matter. At the end of the day, it's the same. It was hard. I couldn't do it. Other people, I guess, can do this. The reason it's hard is because our enemy... I mean, anything in the world is easier than this. Just turn on Netflix. Just go do some chores. Just, but don't pray. There's a reason. Don't think you are some special category. I guess Brad just has this prayer gift. And No, I do have desperation. I do feel in over my head. I do feel my inadequacy. I haven't gotten over my weakness. That's good. And some of you maybe should think about that. You think too much about what you think you can do. And that might be why you don't pray. But setting that aside, it's just hard. It's hard. It's hard. But I don't give up because I know this is where divine power can begin to tear down strongholds. I don't want to just see what Brad Bigney can do with his persuasion, what Brad Bigney can do with his gifts of leadership, what Brad Bigney can do with his tenacious type A personality. I want to see what God can do, and I hope you do too. All perseverance. The passage is saying, don't quit. 
don't give up. Don't lose heart. Don't say it doesn't work. So I hope today some of you might say, you know what? All right, we're going to try this again. But as you do, I want you to expect massive resistance. I want you to expect the water heater to go out. I want you to expect your car to end up on the side of the road. I want you to expect to lose your job. I want you to expect a health crisis. But don't be scared. I still want you to pray. Do this. But you will. All of a sudden, you'll feel like you've turned your face into the wind. And you're trying to walk against the wind. All of a sudden, you'll feel like instead of just floating With downstream, with the river, you've decided to swim upstream. That's what it will feel like. But it's what he calls us to do. At all times, with all perseverance. And that leads to my second point. Did you know that war, war, is really what prayer is for? It's because there's a war that he's given us this. Now, even though I think he's overstating it, and sometimes when something is in neglect, someone will overstate something to bring the people of God back. I think John Piper is overstating it here, and I hope that doesn't offend you because he's not God. He's a great man, but I'm going to differ with him here, but I still want you to hear it. I think he's overstating it, but he's bringing us back to an aspect of prayer that I think sometimes is totally neglected. Hear what he says. We cannot know what prayer is for until we know that life is war. He goes on to say, our weakness in prayer is owing largely to our neglect of this truth. Prayer is primarily a wartime walkie-talkie for the mission of the church as it advances against the powers of darkness and unbelief. It is not surprising that prayer malfunctions when we try to make it a domestic intercom to call upstairs for more comforts in the den. God has given us prayer as a wartime walkie-talkie so that we can call headquarters for everything we need as the kingdom of Christ advances in the world. Prayer gives us the significance of frontline forces. Now, here's why I differ with I want you to hear it, and I want you to feel it, and I want you to get excited about it. But here's why I differ with him. It's not just that. Because when Jesus' disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray, the model prayer that we have in Matthew 6... Jesus kicks it off absolutely in alignment with what John Piper's saying. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be, whose name? It's about his name. And I hope you realize name in the Bible represents all of who he is and what he wants to do. Hallowed be your name. Whose kingdom? Your kingdom come. Whose will? Your will be done on earth. So it starts off your your, your, that's, that, that's the wartime. He's called us to be on mission. But then I got to point out, we're not just soldiers on mission. Praise God, we're his children in need. And then it says, give us this day, pronoun switch, our daily bread. It's not wrong to say, God, Would you do this for us? God, I love praying for all three campuses. I pray through all the prayer requests every week. I'm praying for people who are saying, oh, give us a house. We're trying to find a house. As a young couple, we used to just go buy a house. People can't find houses. Well, someone has cancer. Someone has bad marriage. Someone has a job situation. That's not wrong. We're his kids. We're not just his soldiers on mission. We're his kids in need. And he delights to hear us ask. But there is a ditch to fall into. 
where it's just all about trying to make prayer what I want next, what I need, and he's supposed to give it to me. And that's why sometimes it doesn't, quote, work when people use it that way. So Piper's emphasizing this aspect of prayer being designed as we align ourselves with his mission and want to live for his glory. We pray. And so that might explain why some of you are so frustrated with prayer and say, oh, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. I tried it. It doesn't work. What people usually mean is I didn't get what I want and I didn't get it soon enough. So it doesn't work. I quit. Well, it doesn't work when you try to use it in a way it was never designed to do. And God is always up to something bigger than just what we think we need next. He's trying to make us more like Jesus. And sometimes waiting is part of that process. Sometimes not even giving you what you're wanting. He has something better in mind. He's a good dad. But we've got Christians that are trying to live in this world like they're on some kind of Christian cruise line. And they're trying to make prayer an intercom where they beep Captain Jesus to send down some more goodies to their suite. And that was never, ever how prayer was designed to be used. In fact, it makes me sad. If you look at the television preachers, at how the television preachers and best-selling Christian books talk about prayer, you can see that people only get excited about it when they think of it as a tool to get whatever they want, whenever they want it, all the time. Name it, claim it, blab it, grab it. What is the prayer formula that I got to tap into so that I can get what I want? And the Bible just not, doesn't teach that that way. When Jesus, even before he left, John 16 through about, I don't know, 18, when he talks all about prayer and says, pray in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, that is a, not a magical little phrase. Just throw it in there and you get it. He said, in Jesus' name means as you align yourself and say, I want to be about what you want. That's when you start to see answers to prayer. Even Jesus himself, did he want to avoid the cross, his human side? Absolutely. Was it wrong to ask? No. He pleaded, pleaded, if there's any other way, let this cup pass. Nevertheless, not my will yours be done. This is going to freak some of you out. Even this last election, you know how I prayed? I I voted a certain way and I prayed a certain way. And at the end of my prayers, I would say, but God, give us the president and give us the leaders in this nation that would lead to the most people coming to faith in Christ and seeing their great need. You realize very often as things get harder, as things get more upsetting, as things get darker, as That's when people come to faith. That's when there are revivals. Not when everything gets easier. Not when everything is... The church grows. The church in China exploded after they were officially told, you can't exist. They're like, perfect. Now we'll go crazy telling everybody about this. That's when the church thrives. When it faces oppression. When it faces obstacles. Because guess what? Then you only have real Christians in the church. Woo! And when God gets together a group of real Christians who know their biggest problem's been solved and that all they have is prayer, and they start, think about these other countries, Korea, and they're the ones that get together at four in the morning and pray for four hours. And we're over here thinking, ha, ha, oh, I can never do that. I think it's because we're not suffering enough. You could do it. 
If you thought your life depended on it and you thought, oh my goodness, this is frightening. I think I'll pray. Yeah, yeah. Number three, so why? Let me give you some practical things. Why get serious about warfare prayer? Well, letter A, I hope you realize some things. I hope this doesn't sound like a no-brainer, like a coach holding up a football in the locker room. Guys, this is a football. But some things only come about through prayer. You realize that? That's what he says in Mark chapter 9. Jesus comes down and finds his disciples trying to cast out this demon from this father's son. And they can't, but Jesus does. And then later, privately, he said, Lord, why couldn't we do that? Now, I don't think the passage was meant to teach, oh, when you run into demon possession, that, you better pray. Wait until then. I don't think my child's possessed, so I won't pray yet. Now, it just means there's a whole lot of hard things. There's a whole lot of strongholds. There's a whole lot of things that people have been habituated in where they are. There's a whole lot of things where people's thinking is so shaped. Prayer is the only thing that's going to drive that out. Prayer. Prayer. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? He said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. There's some things that only prayer. My ear condition that I struggled with from 2002 to 2010, eight years. Oh, I went to ENTs. I did all kinds of things. But I prayed. I fasted and prayed for three days at a time. Saying, oh God, but here's how I said it. Oh God, please heal me. I think I'm going to lose my mind. Nevertheless, I will serve you in whatever condition you think I would be most useful. It's not wrong to ask, but. And, and after eight years, he healed me. To God be the glory. I'll never forget that. I probably don't go seven days without saying, oh God, thank you, thank you, that condition's gone. Thank you, I can hear someone on the plane. Thank you, I can talk to my neighbors. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Prayer, prayer. The specialist said, we don't know why you have it. It's usually anorexic women. I'm not a woman. And I don't throw up, I eat a lot. And people who've been through chemo that get this condition. He didn't know why I had it. And they can't explain why I lost it. I can. God. God chose to heal me. Some things are only going to come out by prayer. Prayer. Oh, man, I've had counseling cases where I know I can't fix it. A worksheet isn't going to do this. Brad Bigney's word isn't. So I take days of prayer and fast. I remember one time out at Potter's Ranch. I went into my little cabin I'd rented. I dropped to my knees. There was a situation that was just overwhelming to me. I can't fix this. Someone who wasn't bathing, someone with all these medications, someone who had resisted everyone around them. And I fell to my knees and I opened my Bible and I began to pray scripture and I prayed for three hours, crying out. I felt like I was, I could just feel the darkness and I just went against the forces of darkness saying, oh God, for your glory, for your namesake, do what none of us can do. And that Sunday, she was in this room out of bed some things can only come about by prayer prayer some of you were with us as we were meeting in schools you don't appreciate the the anxiety that i felt as your pastor because it was my job to try to find the next school as they kicked us out and dixie high school said we're going to remodel you can't keep meeting here i'm like oh my word 
There's 350 of us. We can't go to some little banquet room. We can't. I called everyone in the world. I called every school. I called everyone I knew. I couldn't even get past the receptionist to talk to the principal. And then we were in some little Bible study with four couples from another church we didn't even know. And a guy that I didn't know who he was. And he just starts a conversation with me one night and says, Hey, how are things going with, with your church? None of them went to our church. I said, Oh, my goodness. We just have a matter of weeks to be out of Dixie, and we have nowhere to go. He said, you, have you called Scott High School? I was like, yes, I can't get past the receptions. But I'd called the whole church. If you were there, you remember, I'd, I'd called the whole church to pray and fast. I said, you guys, we got to pray. We got to pray, we got to pray, we got to pray. He looks at me and says, oh, I know the principal at Scott High School. I just bought them a scoreboard for the girls' basketball team. Let me make a call. <laughs> she called me. The next day. Oh, Pastor Brad, I think we can work something out. You think? His name was Doug Pelfrey, the former kicker for the Bengals. That's all. That's what God can do. Some things only come about by prayer. Prayer. What is it you want to see happen? Pray. And how long? At all times, with all. My ear thing was not gone. In a week, you guys, eight years. Eight years. I've got some other things still going on. Some things only come about through prayer. Letter B. Duh. We're commanded to pray. How about that? We're commanded to pray. In Colossians 4, Paul talks about it this way. He says, continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. And then he says, Epaphras, who is one of you, prays for you, always laboring fervently for you and see you guys prayer's hard work and that word labor right there get this it's the greek word agonizomai what do you think what english word do we get from agonizomai prayer's agony it's not a lap quilt with fuzzy slippers and a warm glass of milk it's hard we get our word agony and gymnasium from agonizomai it's like this guy epaphras is agonizing for you in prayer. Do you agonize in prayer? Do you press in and say, oh God, oh God. Let her see. Prayer shows you haven't forgotten who really has the power. Every year as I pray, as I read through the Bible, I love it when I hit 2 Chronicles 20 and I see King Jehoshaphat had two, two, two nations had come together with a huge army against him, the Ammonites and the Moabites. This man did not like not have an army. He had an army, but he recognized my own resources will never be enough. And he prayed this way, 2 Chronicles 20, 12. Oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we have, how much power? Say it again. No power against this great multitude that's coming against us. Nor do we know what to do. But our eyes are upon Don't you face situations where you're like, I feel powerless in the face of this. If it hasn't happened to you yet, it will. Where you just have these times where I don't know what to do. I really don't. I don't know what to do. Perfect. Our eyes are upon you. I don't have the power. I don't know what to do. But I'm going to call out to you. I'm going to cry out to you. I'm going to cry out to you. Oh, you guys, especially as it relates to your lost loved ones and friends. I hope you realize only the power of God 
can take out a heart of stone, can open deaf ears, can change blind eyes, and cause them to hear the gospel as if they've never heard it before, and cause them to see Jesus as attractive and beautiful, and cause the gospel to actually sound like good news and them to want it. We have to share it, no doubt. I do. I hope you do too. But only God has the power to save, to save, to save. And if you believe that, mm, you would pray. You would pray. George Mueller is famous for running five orphanages in Britain. I don't mean like a dozen orphans. Thousands of orphans. Thousands. And praying for God to meet all his needs to do it. And so he's famous for all these answers to prayer. Towards the end of his life, he said, I am that guy that has a record. He kept a record of 36,000 specific answers to prayer. We love that kind of stuff. But then I appreciate him saying something that people sometimes don't know. I didn't know it. That wasn't my first time to read a book about him. For some reason, in this biography, I was like, oh. He said, here's what I want people to know. Who couldn't keep praying if you got a lot of 36,000? He knew how to persevere at all times with all perseverance. He said, in November, in November of 1844, I decided to pray for five unconverted friends. He says, in six months or 18 months, the first one came to faith in Christ. And I, I thanked God and I kept praying. After five years, the second one came to faith in Christ. And I thanked God and I prayed on. At the end of six years, the third one came to faith in Christ, and I thanked God. And then he's writing, and he's saying, it's been 36 years now, and the final two are still unconverted. But I hope in God, and I look for the answer. When's the last time you prayed 36 years for anything? We tend to say, oh, prayer doesn't work. It's been 36 years. Monica, the mother of Augustine. You ever heard of Augustine of Hippo? God used him mightily as the bishop of Hippo. His mother, Monica, he was wild. He was a sexual wild thing. He was clubbing in the day, whatever the clubs looked like back then. He was trying to see how many women he could bed down. Monica prayed for him for 32 years before Augustine got saved. And then what God did with Augustine She could have given up and said, oh, he's obviously just a hellion. She didn't give up. Perseverance. When I read this in July of 2017, I decided, I'm going to pray for my unconverted kids every day. That's what he did. Mueller said, whether I was on land or sea, sick, healthy, doesn't matter. Whether I'm in another city, another state, on a plane, in a hotel, motel, my house, someone else's house, does not matter. I'm going to pray every day for my unconverted kids. Oh, God, you owe me nothing. Oh, God, for your namesake, for your glory, make them objects of mercy. Rescue them. Do what only you can do. And I started praying that way every day. About a year after I did that, I'm here on a Monday morning, and my my assistant who goes to Fort Thomas says, Hey, I saw your son at church. I'm like, What? And so she knew I looked startled. She's like, yeah, mustache, pretty girlfriend. I'm like, Harrison went to church. Oh my, he was living with his girlfriend, driving a red sports car, living the good life. Jesus, God, church was not a part of that. But in the past, I would have texted him, called him, said, oh, you went to church. Let's discipleship. Go through this book. No, no, no. I prayed on. 
Thank you, God. I just, I just did what Mary did. I pondered it in my heart. I'm just going to file that away because it's not about me. I'd come to the point that I knew. I, oh, trust me. I'd already been trying to drive the basketball down the court and get something done, and it doesn't help. You go crazy. They hate it. I was like, I prayed on. Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, God. He reaches out to me and says, hey, can we get together, and will you show me how to do a budget? So we're sitting there in my kitchen at the island on stools, and we got our laptops, and I show him how to do YNAB. You need a budget. And when we finish, I'll never forget, I've been a pastor over 30 years. He leans over, and he, with a hushed voice like it would be news to me, he says, Dad, I think there's something to this God stuff. <laughs> you think? Me too. I've only given my whole life for this. But, you know, I kept a straight face. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. And then he says, for the first time ever, me and Serena are so unhappy. Usually I'm unhappy, but she's happy. She's unhappy, but I'm happy. We're both so unhappy, and I'm thinking... Perfect. That's what I've wanted. Just rob them of all earthly joy, oh God, and bring them to the only real joy. He said, we talked to each other and said, let's go back to church. So we've been going to church, and I acted like I didn't know that. Oh, and I'm like, I know. I know. I know. Daddy, Daddy knows. But I just, and then he says, I even started reading the Bible. I started reading Mark to see Jesus. I'm like, that's good. I didn't do anything else, you guys. He got in his car, and I prayed on. I prayed on every day. God, do what only you can do. So then Eric Northrup, our brand-new campus pastor that we had hired to become the campus pastor in Independence when we launched it, but we're a year away from launching it, preaches his first Grace Fellowship sermon ever, filling in at Fort Thomas because someone was sick and couldn't do it. Sorry, Eric, but my son has heard better sermons than that, I'm sure. I've been here so long. That sermon by Eric Northrup, his first ever Grace Fellowship sermon. God loves to do stuff like that. You know what I mean? Say, Brad, it's not about you. He texted Eric and said, oh, wow. Encouragement, like, oh, my goodness. So Eric calls me that week and says, hey, I'm getting together with your son. He doesn't even know us well because he's so new to our church. He's like, tell me about your son. I said, he's lost. He's not a Christian. And Eric's like, great. So he meets him in a restaurant, asks spiritual questions, invites him to his small group. And Harrison and Serena decide to start going to his small group. And I, what did I do? I prayed on. I prayed on. I prayed on. And shortly after that, a few months later, I'm sitting in the driveway on a Sunday. And Harrison texted me and said, Dad, I think God has saved me. Now notice even how he's worded that. And I think he knew what I was probably thinking. He grew up in my home, right? He prayed the prayer when he was little. I baptized him. He's been to youth camp. He's tried multiple times to rededicate his life. And then we say, it doesn't work. It doesn't, it doesn't work when you're lost and there's no life. So his next sentence was, this is not me trying hard again to be a Christian This is what God has, say the word, done. And I wept, and I praised God, and I ran upstairs and showed the text to his weeping mother, and then I baptized him on April 28th, 2019. But notice, notice, it wasn't me scheming and driving and trying to make things happen. Pray. 
And so now, oh, listen, I'm excited. I pray every day. I did this morning on the patio before I came here. I pray every day for 19 lost people. My name. Family members, neighbors I love, people at the gym I love, a guy I met at the pool in San Francisco. 19 lost people by name every day. When you pray, you're recognizing you haven't forgotten who has the power. The power to open eyes, to unstop deaf ears. You guys, when you just roll out of bed, suck down some coffee, jump in the car, and go to wherever you work or school or whatever, ah, you're actually saying, without saying it, let me see how soon I can get shot down, blown up. Let me see just how exhausting and frustrating and hard my life can be as I try to do it with no greater resources than my own. I would love for the family of God at Grace Fellowship to lay hold of the greatest weapon he's given us, prayer, and to be praying at all times with all perseverance so that we could see what his divine power can do. Oh, God, thank you for your word. Thank you for Jesus that gives us access to your throne. Lord, thank you that we can come, not sheepishly, but boldly in the name of Jesus. And, oh, God, would you realign us to be about your mission and your name and your fame. And then thank you that you recognize our frailty and that we're your kids. We're not just soldiers. We're your kids. And we can say, oh, would you give us this day our daily bread, God? We need food. We're paying a house payment. We got a medical bill. Would you help us not step into temptation? And would you help us to not be crushed by evil? Thank you that we can express our needs along with being a part of what you're doing. May we have the privilege of seeing Ephesians 3.20 exceedingly abundantly beyond what we could ask or think, what you could do when your people pray. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.